Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. He's getting ready to pump the gas, and Laura looks out and she recognizes the man who's the gas station attendant. She jumps out of the limo and says, oh, Bubba, how you been? And she hugs him, and they're talking, and so the whole time they're pumping gas, Bubba and Mrs. Bush are talking, chatting it up. Finally, she comes back into the limo, and George W. asked her, who was that? How do you know him? Oh, George, she says, that's Bubba. We used to date way back when, when, when I was in high school, but we broke up, and, and so now I'm here with you. He says, hold on a second. Let me get this straight. You mean to tell me that you could have been married to Bubba, the gas station attendant, instead of being married to me, the president of the United States, the most powerful man in the free world? To which, of course, she replies, don't be silly, George. If I married Bubba, he'd be the president. <laughs> right? Now, I notice only women laughed at that story. But it's a silly way of saying we must never underestimate the powerful impact women have on the world. You know, we men, just because it's the way society seems to be ordered, we enjoy the limelight. We get listed first. It's always Mr. and Mrs., right? You, you feel weird when you see an envelope addressed Dr. and Mr. You're like, what? Because it's usually the man goes first. Society is such that men get a lot of the limelight. We get a lot of the credit. But make no mistake, in every man's life, there has been some significant impact made by a woman. And that impact should never be downplayed. And I'm not saying this to be politically correct or to be equal-minded and all that. I'm telling you this because it's the truth. And there's that saying, uh, behind every great man is a great woman. Don't focus on the, um, the behind as if it's some kind of hierarchical statement. But it's the glove, the hand that's inside the puppet in a way. They say the man is the head of the house, but the woman is the neck that turns the head. Do you get that? And so we want to make sure you understand that at Harvest, one of the great values, one of our our true core values, is we affirm the place of women in our church. And we understand completely that without women, the church and society as a whole would look nothing like what it looks like today. And so we come to this passage where God sets apart a number of verses specifically addressed to women and specifically in their roles as wives and mothers. And I know that for some of you, women, that's, that's not actually a good thing because it feels like you're getting singled out. And I know in parentheses, the phrase or the, the, the refrain in your mind is, when are we going to get to the one for the men? Why are we getting singled out? Why are we getting preached to? What about these guys sitting next to us, our bubbas? How come they're not getting preached to? And in time, I promise you, they will. They will. And they'll get preached to hard. But I want to remind you, ladies, two important things today. Okay? And the first is, the word of God is never a curse. It is always a gift. I wish that we had in the Proverbs, a collection of wisdom, a passage intended for men that is as clear and as beautifully worded as this one is for you. And so I don't want you to receive these words as a rebuke, and they're not going to be preached that way. I'm going to preach this with hopefulness and, and with a, an inspiring sort of tone that I hope will catch you uh, in your hearts. But the second reminder is for all of us, and that is this. Even though you're not a wife or a mother, even though you're not even a woman, 
remember that the, the New Testament teaching is very clear that Jesus considers the church his own bride. A bride's a fancy way of saying we collectively are Jesus' wife. Okay? We are his wife. And so this teaching on what it looks like in a family context to be an excellent wife and an excellent mother, those things apply to all of us. And so as we're listening, especially if you're a man and you want to zone out here, listen, hear me now. You have to think about through this whole sermon, what would it look like, not only if my wife or my future wife was like this, but what would it look like if I and the rest of us together were like this towards Christ? Imagine what the church would look like if we together became the excellent bride of noble character. Let me also point out for you something important, an observation that the writer of this passage starts with. He says, an excellent wife, who can find? That doesn't mean it's impossible. I mean, I did, fool. I found one. But, you know, the thing is, it's, what he's trying to say is, an excellent wife is a rare find. She's like a gem that you stumble upon and take home. And what that means is there are a lot of good women out there, but an excellent woman is not such a plentiful thing. And if you are a good woman, this is God's call on your life. Hear from me and grow into an excellent woman, a woman who stands out among other women as a woman of substance and nobility and dignity and strength, the kind whose children and husband will praise her as her life is drawing to a close, the kind who will leave her footprint firmly planted in the soil of people's lives in this earth. One thing I can say before I launch into the rest of the sermon is that as I look around, we have so many excellent women at this church. Now, I know you think I have to say that because I'm the past year, but I feel a little greedy. I think we have a disproportionate gathering of excellent women at this church. So mainly I'm preaching this message for those who listen at other churches to our podcast, you know, because none of you ladies really need this, but just humor me so I could preach to the rest of Chicagoland. But I'm telling you, we do have a great many excellent women at this church. Women of character and substance. And as I was preparing this sermon, faces just kept popping up in my mind of people who embody these things. And so I don't intend at all for this to mean we don't have any women like this at our church at all. I also hope that this will uplift you and inspire you and set the bar high for what God wants to see each of us become, whether as the bride of Christ or as a wife and mother. Now, the first observation I make out of this big passage is that the excellent wife is diligent. Don't be offended by that image, okay? I know it's not like we're saying barefoot and pregnant, you know, woman's places in the kitchen and the bedroom. That's not the point. The, the, the point is, this is not a happy scene for most men, right? That picture of, of silverware and a dishwashing sponge, that's not something we relish. I'm a little weird. I love doing dishes, okay? I just, I love it. It's the only time I get to listen to music on my iPod and not feel like I'm wasting time. And there's something about scrubbing them all clean. I just, it, it touches my soul. So I'm a little weird. But most guys, they would just, they would feel horrible if they had to do all of the work around the house to make a house into a home. You want to know where proof of this is? Just visit any apartment where a bunch of guys live on a college campus. Do you know what I'm talking about? You, you have to hover over the toilet. You're like, I ain't even touching that stuff because it's so filthy. There's hairy, crusted, unknown, brownish, earth-toned things stuck to the side of the toilet. It's just disgusting. And, and I know that's very vivid, but I've had to use many such bathrooms. Um, 
I never had one because I'm a little weird. I, I'm, I'm one of the scrubby guys. But I have seen so many filthy places like that. And I know that if men had to take care of creating homes, we live in a filthy world. Just a filthy world. When I think about all that Jeannie has to do every day to turn our house into a home, it makes me exhausted. It, it makes me wonder how it all gets done in the span of one 24-hour period. It is not an easy thing for her to serve this church, to serve our children, to serve me, and then to serve herself. And at the end of the day, it's no wonder that by like 10 o'clock, she's zonked out, but she's trying so hard to stay up and watch a little TV with me. And, and you know, I know that her day is so different than mine, and it's amazing how willingly and joyfully that she engages that role, that calling in her life. You know, as hard as it is to be a wife and a mother, as with any difficult job or calling, a woman has one of two choices in response to the difficulty of that call. And the first option is simply to embrace and accept it and to say, this is my lot in life, this is my calling, and I will do it with all the zeal that is in me. And the second response any of us has to a difficult job is to reject it and to resent it, and to find reasons to hate why we have this life that we've been given. The picture of the excellent wife in Proverbs 31 is of a woman who has taken the first option and embraced and accepted her calling that to be a mother and to be a wife is no demotion of her essence and worth and value, but it is one of the highest callings to which any woman can aspire. Listen to what it says. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. And I want to emphasize that second phrase there, works with willing hands. And that's really what it's saying is this is not a woman who's resentful or bitter, but she is proactive and she seeks things out that her family needs. This is not somebody being dragged by the whip to do this, but she wants to embrace this part of her identity. It also says in the strange verse, she is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. And there's a couple things I could say about that. Merchant ships were the semi-truck tractor trailers of the ancient world. They weren't sexy, sleek, fast vehicles, but they went to faraway places and plodded steadily along, bringing home all those goodies from foreign lands. And there's something about the way that a woman nurtures her family. She's diligent in seeking things out. And one of the great things about a a merchant ship is it goes to far-flung places and those people on the crew seek out exotic treasures to bring home because they know that, number one, it'll it'll delight the people in their homeland, and number two, it'll make them a lot of money. So they, they bring home monkeys for pets and all these exotic fruits, and when the ship docks, there's this excitement because somebody has journeyed far to bring home good things for the people back home. And there is this sense of journey and the methodical, patient return home to the, the, the home port. You know, years ago, my mother bought me a sweater. In fact, it was this very sweater that I'm wearing right now. Um, I actually wore this so I could say that. Okay? And this sweater she bought me, she said she visited at least two dozen stores in at least three or four malls looking for she had a color in mind and she wanted to see her son in a certain color and she went to almost 25 stores looking when she found it she was so happy that she bought it right away now if she hadn't said that i'd be like thanks for the sweater ma and i would take it home and wear it because it's just like this i can't even describe what color this is like pea soup i don't know what color this is but it's a nice sweater 
But what she said was, I know you won't think much of it, but I want you to know that the journey was part of my gift to you. Now, she's not the first person who made up that statement, but when she said it, it reminded me what is so beautiful about a mother's heart is that she will go to any length to bring good things home to her family. And that, that, that driving from mall to mall, hoofing it all over these different places, that was part of the gift. It was an expression of love because I think that's what love does. Love doesn't go walking into the nearest uh, mini-mart and goes, what do you got for under five bucks? I got to bring home my, uh, an anniversary gift for my wife. And you bring home some, some edible underwear on a shape like a rose or some junky gift like that. What love does... What love does, some of you are not going to recover from that illustration, are you? (laughs) What love does is it seeks, it pays a price. It's willing to be patient because they love the ones back home. It also says that she puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. Now, when's the last time, ladies, you you worked with the distaff and spindle? Just let me see your hands. Anybody? Anybody? Don't, if you raise your hands, I'm going to freak out. This is what a distaff and spindle are. They basically are tools used to take fibers like raw wool and stuff and string it into, spin it into yarn. So you make yarn, but nobody just throws yarn over their bodies. Yarn is the building block for yet another thing. And what it's saying is that this woman, when called upon, when it's necessary, because she loves her family, is industrious. She's not lazy. She doesn't go, oh, crumb. I ran out of supplies. I'm just going to just complain about it. Tell my husband he's got to make more money. What's wrong with you? She will scrounge up and make with her own hands the building materials of household life because that's just the indomitable spirit of the woman of excellence. She doesn't look for reasons to complain. She finds solutions to the problems. And even if no one congratulates her, her reward is that the things that are needed are provided because she loves the people that God has given to her as a family. And in an era where convenience is almost an addiction, where, you know, we use the word efficiency a lot. I think that's modern-day code for lazy, okay? Efficiency just means I want to do the least amount of work to get the maximum amount of bang. But sometimes you just got to work hard for the people you love. There are no shortcuts when it comes to love. And this the wife of excellence, the mother of excellence understands is she will do anything for her family. And this world needs to see more women who are like this. Who don't bark at their husbands because he doesn't supply enough money to give her the life in the lap of luxury but women who will say, I will bring my strength as a woman to this task. I'm not going to pin it all on him because he's a dork. He can't be responsible for all of this. There are things that I alone can bring to this table, and I will make no excuses. I will bring my best because I love these people. This is the picture God is holding up of the kind of woman our world needs to see more of. The kind of woman that we need to uphold for everybody to understand, this is what a woman should be. Here's an interesting turn, though. Her diligence, her industriousness, it doesn't only stay confined to the home life, but look what it says here in these three verses. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Perhaps the most clear verse is the last one there. What this says to us is the Bible affirms the legitimacy of women having a career outside the home. 
you know, I really, I really resent the term working mother because everybody works, okay? Whether you stay home with your kids or you're out, you're working hard, believe me. But the point is we believe in whatever the, the common vernacular is, if we call it working mom, we think of a woman who's got a pacifier in one hand and a briefcase in the other. That we, we find to be legitimate. The Bible affirms that women have a great potential to be successful in the marketplace, that they are not second-class citizens or poor business people. They can, they can build careers and earn a living if they choose to. And that's something we want to affirm at Harvest. I know that we have encouraged new, uh, new mothers to stay home with their children for the first few years if finances allow. And we don't encourage that because women shouldn't work or because women can't work, but it's because those are such formative years in a baby's life. And it's so critical that the nurturing spirit of a mom be applied to that child's life routinely. And so if you have the luxury to, to be able to afford that option, we strongly encourage it as a good thing. But I don't want the women who have careers outside the home in this church to ever feel judged or like second-class citizens. It is a legitimate calling on you to do work and to earn a living outside the home as well. But let me just say this. And I can't just say that and leave it where it is because I think that the Bible is clear too. Look at this middle statement here, this middle verse. But it says, her lamp does not go out. And what that means is that she understands that to choose a career outside of the home will require double duty from her because she cannot pursue that, that marketplace job to the exclusion or neglect of the family that matters to her. The human beings which God has entrusted to her care because her husband cannot reproduce or replace the kind of care that a woman can give as a wife and mother. And so what this is saying is, if you can handle both, and she's burning the candle on both ends, she is burning the midnight oil. This woman is not a whiner. She's not a thumb sucker. She's not the one saying, everybody make me comfortable, accommodate to me. But she's saying, I choose to do both things. I will forfeit sleep to take care of my family and to take care of business. That's what she's doing. And if you are willing and able to make that sacrifice, and if you have, if God has given you the inner reserves of strength and commitment to do that, you go, girl. Don't let anybody tell you that you should feel guilty for having a job. But no one else should judge you. You ought to weigh this yourself. The one thing I ask is don't uncritically try to pursue a career as some form of uh, of feminist self-validation. You have worth whether you're jobless or not. You have worth just because God has called you to be his own. You don't need a job to tell you you're as good as a man. Why would you want to be as good as a man? Isn't that a demotion? Why is it so important to you ladies? Why don't you be better than men? Be better. Do in the home what we could never hope to contribute to that setting. And do out there in the marketplace the same thing we're doing. And I pray for the day when it's equal pay for equal work. We should be upset about those things. But ladies, if you can't do both without turning on your loved ones, scratching them every night, whining and complaining. Stop the job. Because those people will be at your deathbed, but your employer will not. And that plaque you got for being the best distributor in the Midwest region, who cares? When you're ready to die, those accolades will not comfort you. You will look at your children and your husband and wonder, what was I here for? It is those people who will journey with you over the course of your life. They're the ones who matter. And this woman had no confusion when the two are at odds, which one takes priority. We don't have families so we're able to go to work. We go to work so we're able to have families. 
And whether you're a man or a woman, don't ever for a second get confused about the priority structure of those two things. Family must come first at all costs, regardless of your gender. And if you are a woman, I know that you're able to do a great job out there, but please be critical of your own state of affairs, and you be your own judge, and you make the best decision for you and for your family. Is it okay for me to say that? Can you give me some feedback to know if I'm going to get a letter bomb or anthrax in the mail, or if you're agreeing with me? Just something. I've I got to know you guys aren't zombies out there. All right. Maybe you're just so shocked or convicted, I don't know. But here's the second observation I want to make. The excellent wife is nurturing. There's a reason I picked that image. You know, in our family, um, my, my daughter Jordan is very peculiar in one way. She hates hot lunch at the school cafeteria. I don't understand this. There's like a variety. There's intri- cheeseburgers, tacos, all these things. And I would love that kind of variety every day, hot lunch. But she goes, no, I would rather have the sandwiches with cold cuts that mom makes. She loves packed lunch. I don't understand that, right? But here's the thing. Now, most days, Jeannie's the one who wakes up and gets the kids ready. And it's been a long time since I've pulled that duty. But once in a while, when I sense that she's really exhausted, I will drag myself out of bed and try to get the kids ready for school. Here's the thing, though. We have this menu, a calendar with the menu of the hot lunch, and it always happens that on the days that I'm up early, Jordan looks at the menu and she groans, I hate that stuff. Daddy, can you make me a a packed lunch? I hate that sentence. (laughs) I don't know what it is. I will will spend 20 hours preparing a sermon, but making a sandwich makes me angry. (laughs) And wrestling with that cellophane and just, I just want to go, just get the hot lunch. I love when I find one of these in the pantry. <laughs> this was invented by men for men, right? Just pull the box out and say, here's your lunch, kid. We don't always have those because those are expensive. So here's the thing. I do it, but I'm grumbling the whole time, saying to Jordan, you better appreciate this. You better finish the whole sandwich and all that. And I'm grumbling the whole time. She goes, thank you, Daddy, for making me my lunch. But it's so different when Jeannie wakes up. She loves packing lunch. It's a sickness, I'm telling you. It's, but you know what it is? It's, the, it's not like she likes working. She loves feeding our family. No one trained her to want that. But I see this beauty in her, and I know I see it in so many other women at this church. There's something natural in the heart of a, a woman that unless something is squashed out, that, that, that spark in her, when she sees hungry people, she wants them to eat. Men love eating. Women love feeding. There's this naturally nurturing spirit. That's why God gave women the breast milk and not us. Children would starve to death if it was up to us, man. Like, oh my gosh, it's been like six days. I forgot to, come here, kid, have a double portion. That's what we would do if it were the other way around. We just aren't nurturers. Plants die when they're in a guy's apartment, Okay? But there's something about the heart of a woman before anything takes that away or diminishes it that wants to nurture those around her. We come to a site like a disaster site like Haiti, and men immediately want to go, get the bulldozers, clear this, let's, let's repair this building. Women go, man, these people must be hungry. They must be cold. We have such a different mindset. We want to fix stuff. Women want to pour life in. I know that's a massive generalization. 
Okay? And those of you who hate generalizations, get over yourself. I'm trying to make a point here. There's something in the heart of woman, the essence of what it means to be feminine, that nurtures. I think it's so important that we celebrate that and encourage it, and when we see it, to praise women, because that is something that men cannot bring as easily and naturally into the world. She rises while it's yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. It's that while it is yet night part that gives me some discomfort because I'm not a morning person. And it's not saying while it's night, but you know, so early in the morning, it it may as well be night. I can't tell you how many days I'm a light sleeper, but Jeannie's getting up in the morning very early, and I hear her, and it's still dark outside, and she's hunched over in the bathroom in our, in our, our, our master bedroom, and, and she's, she's in there because she doesn't want to bother me with the lights, and she's reading her Bible, having a brief time of devotions before she runs down to the frenzy of the day. And I think that's just something amazing about a good woman is that they will do what is uncomfortable because they want to nurture. There's nobody who wants to get out of bed in the morning, especially on weather like this. I mean, what happened here? Friday was 60s. I was going to be like breaking out my, my Speedos and stuff, and then all of a sudden this. Nobody wants to get out of bed on cold days, early in the morning when it's dark out, but some people will do it because love draws them out. Listen to this one. She is not afraid of snow for her household for all her household are clothed in scarlet. Around, um, <clears throat> and I know this is not a sermon about my wife. It's about the excellent wife, but I really don't see a difference between the two. Do you? Do you anybody want to? Okay, good, good. Just want to establish that right now. But I, I'm using her as an illustration. Uh, around early autumn, when the, the, it's clear that the cold weather is here to stay and it's going to just keep getting colder, Jeannie goes through this process every year where she starts taking inventory of all the kids' clothing and she goes through everything that's been outgrown, and she puts it in bags to give away to all the other Harvest families that have kids that size. And we, It's this big exchange network. I don't know if you guys know about this, but if you buy clothes for your kids in this church, you're a fool. I'm telling you. You don't have to spend a penny. Kids are always outgrowing stuff while it's great. And so she's in this whole network, and she goes through the system of clearing out all the summer clothes, putting it in storage, bringing out all of the winter clothes, and taking stock. And if the snow pants are too small, she'll go out and buy new ones. And she's doing all this to do what? To get ready for winter. What are the kids and I doing to get ready for winter? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. We're the ants. She's the grasshopper. And when winter comes, all the kids think about is playing in the snow, and all I think about is grumbling over having to shovel it. But we're warm and toasty because of mom. Because around early autumn, somebody decided maybe it's important for us to think about what's going to cover their naked bodies when the weather gets cold. It says they'll be clothed in scarlet. That's a tricky Hebrew word. It could just as well be translated double layers. We're talking long underwear, snow pants, parkas, the kind of thing where it says this woman, because she loves her family, plans ahead so that no thing that's coming up will just catch them unprepared. She's doing it even though it's unsexy work because it's got to be done and probably no one else in that home has even thought about it yet. Is that making sense to you guys? And we're, we're painting here a picture of a woman who is just holding it down in her house. The heart of her husband trusts in her 
and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Now, I've got to say something about this. She's not just taking care of her kids, but this is a big one. There's a Korean phrase which I really dislike. I normally don't use Korean words because not everyone here is Korean, but let me just translate it for you. The phrase is eggy amma, okay? Literally translated means baby mama, okay? That's the phrase that Koreans use to refer to a woman after she's had her kid is, you are the baby's mama now. You're a baby's mama. But what's so troubling about that is it's as if after a woman has a baby, her entire identity is now wrapped up in being a mom. And men, can I just get an amen on this? They sometimes forget that they're wives too. Don't complain to me in private, you cowards. <laughs> Whatever. Leave me hanging out here. Sometimes men secretly resent. It's like, what happened to me? The kid is your whole life. He gets everything. And I know it's hard. But this is the calling, which is why God made you stronger than us. Why he gave you broader shoulders than us. I mean, if men had the babies, everyone would be an only child, right? Women are strong. Women are strong. And so I'm calling you to remember, because this woman not only nurtures her children, but she does good to her husband all the days of her life, all the days. There are no seasons where she takes a break from her marriage. There are no seasons where her husband feels the neglect of his wife's love, because she's a wife all the time not just after the kids are grown. And I'm here to tell you, even though this is so difficult for me to say and so difficult for you women to hear, because I know, I do understand some of your private pain, how hard it is to wrestle little ones. And then to hear your your, um, oldest child, also known as your husband, whine about how he needs a little TLC too. (laughs) You're like, man, I have nothing but babies around me. Where's my partner? But let me tell you this amazing secret. Ladies, if you will take care of your husbands, he will, they will become a partner for you. But when men feel neglected, we stink, man. We, we get all into the self-pity mode. We huddle in a corner. We hang out with other guys and we nurse our wounds. We go, how come no one's taking care of me? I got another sermon coming for you guys. Trust me. We'll talk about that side of the equation. But ladies, you need to know that sometimes resenting or avoiding him is making him less and less a part of the equation than what you really want. Take care of that man. You will see that man come alive and stand next to you. Ignore him, and he will go to a bar after work every night telling his buddy how he's become a single dad. He's neither, (laughs) but he's going to complain about it like he is, right? I'm telling you, that there is no seasonal dynamic to marriage. You will always be a wife. And God is saying, don't ever, ever forget that. And because of it, this steadiness of devotion from his wife produces this very unquestioning, unshakable confidence and trust in his heart. This is not a woman whose husband feels like he needs to draft prenuptial papers. This is a man, a a woman, whose husband implicitly trusts her with everything. He's confident in her. He doesn't resent her because she is there with him and for him. You know, we men like to make a big deal that we're the providers, but really in a traditional home, yes, the man might be the the primary breadwinner, okay? That doesn't literally mean bread, but you know what I mean. You bring home the, the larger or primary income. You might be that, but that doesn't mean you're the sole provider of the family. 
if bringing home money was all that matters, this is what dinner would look like, isn't it? Right? I mean, it's like we think bringing home money is everything. All money will do is let you buy stuff. But the thing is, what a woman provides in the home is she turns a house into a household, into a home. She turns a building into the place where children's memories are forever burned. Think about your childhood home. The smells, the sounds, the textures are all still very familiar to you. I still remember what the curtains in our living room felt like in the apartment we had when I was a little kid. I remember running my hands over them. And I just, a woman produces that place. She sets the emotional temperature in a home. I can tell you, and I, I really do mean this. It's not an exaggeration. I can walk into a house, and within 30 minutes, I know a lot about the woman who lives there because she sets the temperature of the place. Do you know what I'm talking about? If it's too clean, if it's too architectural digest clean, I get a little nervous, man. I, I need to see a little bit of, especially if there's little kids in the house, I need to see a little bit of toys strewn about, and she's okay with that for me to know, man, this woman is a human being after all. She's not trying to get her house in a magazine. She's got a family that lives here. Well, don't go messing up your houses on purpose. I'm just saying, you, you, the women are the ones who create what a house smells like and feels like. Men often just determine how big it is or how how trim the grasses outside, but we, we don't really cast atmosphere the way women can. And so I want to make sure we understand and appreciate how important the contribution of what women provide is to the home. Let me give you one last observation. The excellent wife is strong. She's strong. Anvils are very interesting things. They are large blocks of usually made out of steel, of, of metal, where there's a flat top and then there's a curved piece, and they are used basically to shape other things that are made out of metal. You heat them or you melt them and you put them in a mold, and you just beat down on an anvil. An anvil's job is just to take a beating so that other things can be shaped. And I've chosen that image because that reminds me of God's calling on a lot of women, especially in the early years of marriage and motherhood. Do you ever feel like an anvil, ladies? Where your whole job is just go, uh, uh, uh. you're taking all the beatings, paying all the prices so that your husband and your children will become who they're supposed to be. You're not getting all the pampering you wish you had. You remember when you could fit into your wedding dress and you, he would take you out whining and dining and those things haven't happened in a really long time. And you, you pay a very high price to move into this phase of your life. And your children will not just at random stop and go, Mother, um, I know I'm only six, but I just need to thank you for the investment you're making in me. I'm not going to become a serial killer someday because you have loved me well. Have they ever done that? Children don't do that. I was a youth pastor once, and I know that even teenagers don't have the good sense to thank you for the investment. It's all cost, no reward. That's a teenager. They stink. Children are nothing but a black hole of a drain on you until they grow up, and then they become flowers. They become wonderful human beings, and you're so proud of them, and they'll later say back to you, thank you, mom and dad. They finally get the humility and the good sense to realize they didn't raise themselves. Until those years of reward come, it's a hard life. And if you're weak, you won't make it. 
You will destroy that family. You'll be half of the equation that destroys it for sure. It takes two to tango. But I promise you, your family will not survive your weakness. Women, you have no idea how much your strength upholds that family. The guys might have the muscle, but make no mistake, that's useless. Unless you've got to move a couch, this is nothing. It's the strength you bring that holds a family together. Make no mistake about that. I don't want to diminish your role, men. But I want to tell you, ladies, your strength so matters for the health and vitality of your families. You are an anvil. And it says this, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arm strong. That doesn't mean God's not in the picture. He very much is. But this is not a woman waiting around for everyone else to be strong for her. That word dresses herself That's better translated, she girds her loins with strength. She puts on titanium underwear. In other words, the the most vulnerable parts of her, she is armoring. It's the language you use to describe the preparations of a soldier for combat or an athlete for an imminent contest. Do you get that? It's a picture of somebody knowing, saying, this is going to be really difficult. I'm not going to make it if I don't psych myself out. That's why in a football game, those guys all put their hands in the middle. and They, they do this whole jumping thing. Do you ever see that? You know, they, where they put their arms over each other's shoulders and they jump. It looks so stupid to us. What is it? Grown men making millions of dollars are jumping up like it's a ring around the rosy game. You know what that's all about? It's about psyching yourself up. It's about owning the difficulty which is about to attack your life. It's about saying that attitude makes the makes them difference that wins games. I'm involved in the NCAA pool for the first time in many, many years because James McDonald is giving away a free iPad for the second place winner of his pool. I'm not doing well. I'm at about 82% guessing right now, which puts me at about 800,000 rank on ESPN.com. But what I'm noticing is... The NCAA tournament is known for upsets. You can't tell anything just by the numbers of their seed because it's the team that's hungry, that wants it, that's ready to play the game that day that takes home the victory. That's really messing me up bad because I set my pool up almost entirely by the seeds. What it's saying is you actually make your own experience in life so much of the time based on the attitude with which you dress yourself for that day. If you want to play the victim, life will feel like an attack every day. But if you want to be a player, if you want to engage life and be strong, that's on you to stand before God each morning and say, I choose to dress myself with an attitude that is strong and not complaining, not victimizing. This is the calling of the godly wife. And so she finds a space in her life where she girds her loins with an attitude of strength and says, I will not resent my life. I will live it. In fact, I will live the living daylights out of this day. When I'm done with this day, I'll put my name on it and be proud of this day in the Lord. I will not find reasons to feel sorry for myself. Don't misunderstand me. It's not that there is nothing to feel sorry for. Life is hard. It gives her the strength and dignity which are her garments. And do you know that strength and dignity are two character traits which are most visible and most appreciated in times of stress and duress? 
You know, it's under fire that strength and dignity matter. It's under a crisis that a leader who has poise really saves the day. Instead of joining the crowd and freaking out. What you don't want to see is, is when there's something going on in the bus and the bus driver's running up and down. It doesn't strike terror into our heart for two reasons. Where does this confidence come from? I think it comes from at least two sources. One is that she has done the best she can with what she has. There are no stones left unturned. She has done her very best. And so part of her confidence comes from being adequately prepared, being proud of the way she's lived. But the other part of the confidence comes from knowing that she knows the God who holds the future. And because of that, God gives her this strength and dignity, which are her garments. And do you know that strength and dignity are two character traits which are most visible and most appreciated in times of stress and duress? You know, it's under fire that strength and dignity matter. It's under a crisis that a leader who has poise really saves the day. Instead of joining the crowd and freaking out, what you don't want to see is, is when there's something going on in the bus and the bus driver's running up and down the aisles going, oh my gosh, and you're like, who's driving the bus? We need to keep our cool, and it's God and our preparation together which fuel this confidence that grows in us. It also says that she opens her mouth with wisdom and teaching of kindness is on her tongue. See, this teaches us that strength is not just brute force, it's power wisely applied. Do you know, ladies, that you could destroy the heart of your child with an angry outburst? Or you can pour life into that kid's heart, build confidence, self-esteem, just with the way that you use your words. Use your power well. Don't just be strong the way Conan the Barbarian is strong, hitting everything in sight with a giant war hammer. No, be strong the way a woman can be. Use your power judiciously and with great wisdom. You'll be amazed at how the scalpel of a woman's wisdom will shape and carve out a child's heart and even form a husband to become everything that he's meant to be. These qualities don't arise from training alone. They are the evidence of the Holy Spirit inhabiting a human being. Wisdom, kindness, these are signs that God is in us. And so I also want to just take this occasion to say, women, that means then by by necessity, your private devotional life is one of the primary places out of which your strength will flow. People often ask Jeannie, how do you do it with four kids? The four kids is not the issue. She couldn't do it with one kid or no kid if she didn't have a tenacious desire to connect to God every day. That's what keeps her grounded. That's what's going to keep any of us grounded. If you neglect that, you might be getting an A on your report card so far. You're like, oh, oh yeah, I'm, I'm excellent, I'm excellent, I'm excellent, all the way till this point. But the question of the day is, are you tenacious in connecting to God? Because that's where real strength, real power, real wisdom and endurance come from. All these things we're describing will be sheer effort unless you're meeting with God and he's pouring into you so that it feels like just being alive is to be an excellent woman. Ladies, let me encourage you. Do not neglect your private devotional life, your personal connection with God. Let me just wrap up here, okay? By the way, did you ever feel like that? 
What it says here is she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. That's physical training. She makes bed coverings for herself. That means she takes care of her own material needs. And her clothing is fine linen and purple. She doesn't mind pampering herself and going out on the town every once in a while. The point is that even though you feel like this most days, a woman cannot neglect her self-care either. And I think it's important for us to say that. Men, make sure that your ladies are taking care of themselves, have the freedom and the resources to do that. Let me just wrap up by saying this. I don't know about you, but I feel like this on behalf of the women after the sermon. I've just taken about three or four sacks of rice and put them on top of your shoulders and said, here, deal with this. This is God's picture of you, or at least the you he wants you to be. That's pretty tiring, man. But I don't think God is calling you to carry the weight all by yourself. And on top of that, the question may be lingering in your minds is, so I'll go through all this. What's in it for me? That's a very legitimate question. What's in it for me? Where is the reward at the end of this tunnel? Well, here's the reward. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. What woman does not want to hear that as the summation of her life on earth? Do you really care if they say you were the most award-winning salesperson for Abbott Laboratories in the Midwest region from years 2008 to 2026? Will you die happy knowing that? Sorry if you were for Abbott. I just, it's the first company that came to mind. I have stock in your company, so I just thought of it. You know what makes a woman feel that she's lived is that the human beings closest to her say things like this about her in testimony. We've seen some beautiful examples of this recently as some of us have sent our own mothers home to be with the Lord. And when you hear the words come out from a surviving family member's mouth, you see the picture of the woman and that's her glory and her crown. It's the sum of her earthly life and this is how God gets his glory. And notice, this is not children who are prodded with a stick. Say something nice about your mother. Mom's nice. It's not that kind of grudging praise. They rise up and call her blessed. They initiate. They are proactive. They can't wait to get an audience to speak the praises of their mother, to tell anyone who will listen, my mom was awesome. She's half the reason I'm here today the way I am. And her husband says, look, there's a lot of women who qualify as excellent, but if I lined you all up, you'd still stand head and shoulders above them all. I still have eyes only for you. You're not just a good woman. You are the best woman I know. I was lucky to have walked with you for these many years. I was privileged to have been your husband over this life's journey. Could have been anyone else, but I thank God above all things that it was you. Ladies, is that what you want to hear when you're getting ready to die? Would you like to hear that even before you have to die? I'm telling you, this picture of the godly woman is no diminishment of your worth and value. Don't let society poison you with its lies. It does not know the truth. This is beauty that lasts. We all know this famous verse. I'll close with this. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. 
and she will have a beauty that the years will not strip away from her. She will look back on her childhood pictures from when she was slender and young and unwrinkled, and she'll say, my goodness, I am so much more beautiful today than I was back then. Not in the physical beauty, perhaps, that the world glorifies, but in the kind of beauty that matters, the kind that everybody instinctively recognizes that has real value. You will be that beautiful woman, and the years will only add to your beauty, not take anything away from you. This is who you can be. It's who you are called to be. It is who many of you are already becoming. And today we want to celebrate what women bring to life, to our families, to this church. And make sure you understand how much we prize and treasure you among us. Let's also remember that this is our call as the bride of Christ. And imagine a church where everyone is diligent and proactive, seeking to do God's will. Where we're not just going through the motions, but we're nurturing and giving life to others. And where we have a strength that comes from the Lord that is unflappable, unshakable. Can you imagine a church that's like that? How honored the bridegroom of Christ would be to have someone like that at his side. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.